some good words today. And they actually do hang together very well. I, I love that we are in a long tradition of the church fathers as they, they wrote and uh, worked the lectionary to flow together in such a way that we are learning uh, the fullness of God's word from the ways that these scriptures have been paired. So it's not just our Anglican dartboard where we randomly put these scriptures together and said, voila, um, you're going to get the whole Bible in three years. That's really what we want to get across, but that you get a majority of the scripture in three years, and these scriptures really hang together for a point. So let's start with the psalm this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I mean, that's the psalmist is in, his, in the heart of a, a song of praise, and he's singing praise the Lord. He's on the tip of his toes. He's what, like David, just hands outstretched, doesn't really care if anybody's looking, doesn't care if he's offbeat. He is just out there. That's the way praise should be. It should be from our heart of hearts. Now, some of us are a little bit more decently in good order <laughs> Anglican. Some of us are out there and everything in between. And, and we're happy for that. I mean, just I think we, we need to remember that we dance to an audience of one, not for the person next to us. Yet at the same time, we worship in a community, so the person next to us need not have our flailing hands in their face either. You know, we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we have to keep conscious of all of those things. But the pure purpose of praise is for us to be lost in adoration. And the psalmist this morning says, Indeed, as long as I have my being, I sing praises to the Lord. Put not your trust in princes. Wow, that's a, that's a strange word to be hearing right in the context of our culture right now. A prince that's just become the king. And our trust is in the Lord. And we actually heard Elizabeth say several times every year at, in her Christmas address, she would point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because it was a convenient story of the nativity, but because there was something transformational in the life of Christ that we all need beyond powers, beyond principalities, beyond royalty, beyond tiaras and all the whole mix. So let's not put our trust in princes or presidents, but put our trust in God. That's why we praise him. For when one breathes his last, he shall return to the earth again. There's a reminder here that, you know what, this is going to end at some point and our focus in our life is going to be our focus for eternity, one way or the other. And the fear in, in that this morning is not evident in the praise because that's not what we're focused on. We're aware that we're blessing the God of Jacob whose help, who is our hope. He is the Lord. He made heavens and the earth. He, is, uh, he does right for those who suffer. He sets the prisoners free. Now, we often think of that as, you know, oh, that, that story that comes up, the testimony. I was once a prisoner. I did stupid things in my life. I was this, that, or the other thing. I, I was bound to an addiction, whatever it might be. We think of prison in that way, but each one of us are imprisoned by our own sin. Each one of us has bonds to break in our lives. Hurts, habits, hang-ups, whatever they might be, we need to break them so that we can move forward in the life that God's called us to 
to walk in. So as we walk in this psalm this morning, I want to say that there's a habit here that can help you. Praise. If you woke up tomorrow morning, I'm, I'm giving this to you as homework. Let's do this as part of your rule of life. Tomorrow morning, I want you to wake with praise. If you are not typically the person who wakes up singing in the morning, I am not, then put it on. Ask Alexa or Echo or Google or whoever. Lord, play my, you know, not Lord. <laughs> Google, play my favorite praise song. Bring it up on your phone. Hum it in your brain. Get in the shower and sing it. Whatever it takes, start your day with praise and see how it dismantles the work of the enemy to start your day with, oh boy. Right? We think of all the tasks that we have to complete. They'll still be there tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Scripture asks the question, what good does it to worry? Worry will worry about itself, but you need to focus on what the Lord is and what the Lord's doing in your life because worry won't get you anywhere. That's a paraphrase if you haven't heard, guessed. The Lord helps those who've fallen and he loves righteousness. The Lord cares for the stranger in the land. He defends the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the ungodly, he makes crooked, the scripture says. The Lord shall be king forevermore, even your God, O Zion, throughout all generations. Praise the Lord forever, 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 forever. We sung it, sung it this morning, right? It, it's not a, there's not an end note. Praise will echo regardless of whether we join it or not in the eternal heavenlies. God is being blessed by the voices of thousands upon thousands who have already gone before us. So how do we get that in perspective? Well, the next word to us is from the Old Testament. And it really was the first word this morning, right? Whoa! I said that loud for impact. Whoa! Woe to you who are at ease with this world, who you feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, where notable men of the nations are and the house of Israel comes. Woe to you who have just absorbed the culture around you and not realized that you've dishonored the Lord is really what is being said by Amos. Amos is speaking in a time where the, it's the fifth message that Amos has to give, and they're not easy messages because they're messages of correction in a culture that is far too comfortable with the world that they live in. And the warning is, God doesn't care whether you are comfortable or not. He's going to destroy both north and south, both kingdoms that make up the 12 tribes that he created for his gospel purposes. He's going to wipe them out because they've forgotten. You wonder sometimes what happens in our lives and we, we want to assign judgment. It is not our right to assign judgment to anyone, even ourselves. 
The Lord allows things so that we might get to a place where we understand who he is and what do we do? We're called to turn around. Whoa. To be someone who has a, you've heard me say this in the rule of life stuff, a conversion of life, a turnaround, a, 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 a moment in time where we are getting ourselves through repentance, to repent literally means to turn around, right with God. We know that we fall short. We know that we're not capable, but we also know that God loves righteousness. And when we practice it, when we walk in it, we are people who are able to be forgiven, transformed, renewed, to move forward. But the nations were going to the Samaritans in Samaria. They were asking for their advice. Oh, how did you get so rich? How did you get so noble? How did you get so wonderful? Let's see what they, the great people did. And God is saying something quite opposite of what the world is saying. He says, remember Kalna and Hamath and Gath of the Philistines. They were defeated. They were wiped out. Go to them and learn from their territorial losses so that you may stay humble and be able to walk in righteousness. It's not quite the military tactics that you learn in Ward College if you were to be a Marine and, and go off and uh, learn what it might be to lead a battalion of people into war. It is actually true wisdom. Go where people have failed because you learn the most from failures. You learn the most for yourself from failures. And you put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. The woe that Amos is saying here is you think nothing's going to happen to you, that you're untouchable because you're God's people. And we all know that that's not true. We all know that there's, there's difficulty in our midst. There's people who have died. There has been struggle with relationships, with daughters and sons and parents and great-grandparents and uncles and aunts. We, we, we're surrounded by issues we can't control. And yet, we work for the weekend, right? What's that song? Everybody's working for the weekend. We, we work for the weekend. We work for vacations. We lavish ourselves with things, and we drive by the homeless and the hungry thinking, well, they're just working it. Have you ever had that thought? I confess to having that thought. I drive by that same person that's right out in front of Acme, and I think, You've been out here for months. You could have a job by now, but I have no idea what the backstory is. I've judged it before I've learned what the backstory is and done something about it. Woe to those who lie on their beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs for, uh, from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. This is a word picture for you that we just think they're eating uh, beef and lamb. No big deal. We can go down to the market and buy some, can't we? No, the, the illustration for the psalmist here is this isn't just stuff that's regularly out there for everybody to consume. This is the choicest, fattest, richest, tastiest meats 
that are being offered and these folks who love themselves so much are lavishing themselves with great food and beds to lie on that are embellished with ivory. You fill in the blanks with what the modern equivalent might be, right? They sing idle songs that sound like the harp and that David invented for, and they sing them for themselves of music. <clears throat> who drink, they drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with fine oil, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Now, again, you have to have a picture here, but uh, the picture is, is of absolute gluttony, but they don't know that it's gluttonous. They're foodies. They like good food, right? It's okay. They like nice appointments in their house. It's okay. Uh, they like to sing songs and think that they're singing like David. David danced before the Lord almost buck naked. He wasn't uh, buying underwear from uh, Duluth. He was singing unfettered, unafraid, fearless because he knew where his life was brought back for him. And they invent these songs because they think that they're like that, but they're just tickling their own ears, right? So we get to this point where they say they anoint themselves with oil. It's not as though they're taking a priestly duty, but, uh, you know, you and I, we, we, we feel good about ourselves in this season where everything dries up. Have it st has it started for you yet? The fall begins and your skin starts to get alligator scaly, you know, and so you get out the fine ointments. That's really what they were doing. They were just taking care of themselves. But for the lavish and the rich, it was to cover themselves in, in oil and massage their skins and have people there to take care of them and rub them down and make them feel better about themselves. And God says this word through Amos. Therefore, they're going to be the first to be condemned. Not ours to condemn. Amos is saying, whoa, you can change now. The reason for a woe is to say, let's get this turned around. You who are rich got there because the Lord had blessed you. Use that. Be good stewards of what you have. So that you're not the only one who can take care of their skin. You're not the only one who can eat well. Make sure others around you are being taken care of. Those will go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretched themselves out shall pass away. It's a hard word because we live in a culture that we don't realize, but our culture, for the most part, as Americans, is in the top 10% of the world. What you have are riches. And because it's out of sight, it, we think it ought to be out of mind. Uh, that we don't have to care or worry about the poverty of the rest of the world. But that's not true. God's disposed us not, not only to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, but to do something about it and love our neighbor as ourselves. We have to find ways to be thinking that we serve the God that we love by serving the others that are around us. So Paul is instructing Timothy, and, and he says to his child, essentially, he says, flee from these things. Thank you, 
where were you, Alan, for uh, putting that in contact. What things? Riches. Flee from the riches that would draw you away from the riches of God. And he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, uh, gentleness. Almost sounds like another list that we have heard once before, right? In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those are outward actions, and they're not fruits of the Spirit. They are the fruit of the Spirit. They hang together. So you can't just choose love and not gentleness. You can't just choose gentleness and not goodness. You can't just choose faithfulness and not self-control. They all hang together. So don't tell me that when you're in the midst of worship, praising the Lord with unfettered, just blowing your mind out, praise to the Lord, and you're not sensitive to your neighbor, that you are living out a life that God called you to because you're not exhibiting self-control. You might be hurting the person next to you. Be aware that they all go together. Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. In the, li in the uh, list of these characteristics that he's calling us to today in Timothy, he's saying, if we are to be aware of our surroundings, if we are to be aware of our culture, if we are to take the woe of Amos seriously and be a people who are not just dead to the reality of the culture that's trying to impact us and kill us, then we ought to be people of character. And if we're going to be people... I can't get the words out fast enough. If we're going to be people of character, then we have to have a, an endurance that fights even in the midst of, of adversity. The word in the Greek for endurance, one of these gifts that, that he's encouraging Timothy through, uh, toward means that, steadfastness under adversity. So fight the good fight. The struggle that we fight right now is for the future of faith. If we forget then our children will forget. If our children will forget, then the condemnation that comes on us for not standing up for the faith and professing it to the world means that the world that is behind us will be faithless and then come under the condemnation that we don't want them to receive. Repeatedly, Paul is directing and addressing with a personal response to Timothy's life as a person and, and his character as it will impact the people around him. And uh, Paul's strongest, most solemn charge of all, he says, I charge you. Uh, it's almost like conjuring up his baptismal vows. This is what you stood for. This is what you stand for. This is what you will stand for. Um, as if you were standing before the time of Pontius Pilate, stand for these things fixed in history. In other words, everything goes back to the cross. Everything that we do and say is a response and a reality that is based upon the cross. We don't think that it was a fairy tale. We don't think that it was a past truth or a hope 
on a picture that is just an illustration. But Jesus really died on the cross for our sins. By his stripes, we won't be healed one day when we get there. We are healed now. And so God's word to us is a, a word Paul's charge to Timothy is keep these commandments without spot or blame. Well, what is he referring to as the commandments? Well, most people have said that the, the interpretation of the words and the context are not just the commandments that God gave of the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, or the summary of the law, but to say, keep the teaching that you've heard. They weren't just light, fluffy sayings. They were the word of God to you so that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. So Paul now changes. He says, he's talking to Timothy and instructing him about his life and the riches of the kingdom that come through a life of character. And he shifts categories now and he says, now let's talk about the rich. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Let's make sure if you have money that you put it in context, that your giving is in thankfulness to God for the abundance that you received so you're not holding on to it with white knuckles as you put it in the offering plate. Or you're not hesitant to write that, not just the tithe, but the offerings that go above your tithe to other organizations. They're caring for the poor, the lost, the widowed, the orphaned. That's our charge. What are they to do? They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. The translation there would, would be that the word was doubly used. It wasn't used in this morning's reading. But they might take hold of a life, your actionable, daily, walking out your, your call to God, would give you life. It would fill you, change you, build you, fire you up to want to do more. This calling to the rich, let's just say, this calling to you and I who are rich is to be good stewards of the, the great things that God has giving, given us so that we might treasure that look on that child's face, that we might treasure that day that would fire us up to go out and find somebody else who has a need tomorrow, that treasure that would come from knowing that we're not just great benevolent people. I'm not saying be haughty about who you are. Be humble about who you are, and in that humility, Take joy that you are the arms and the legs of the Lord. You're bringing freedom to the captive. You're bringing life to those who are dead. You're caring for the widow, the orphan, the lost. And lastly, we started off with praise, and then we went to woe. And uh, in the last one, we, we sort of talked about instruction. And in those instructions, Jesus comes along and he it speaks this parable where a rich man dies and in dying he, he has been so cruel to his help 
Lazarus. I don't think there's any coincidence that names get pulled up in the midst of this. Lazarus may not have been somebody's servant, Lazarus his friend, but as you think about Lazarus for us today, we, we recognize that he was gone, he was rotting, he stunk by the time Jesus would have gotten to him. And yet it was Jesus' intention that the glory of God might be revealed so that we might know that he was not only the Son of God, but the dead in Christ would rise. It's not insane for us to believe in the resurrection. It's not preposterous to think that the, the disciples actually saw Jesus after he was raised. And so here we are, the poor man is carried away to angels and Abraham, uh, to Abraham's side, and the rich man was buried with the dead in hell, in torment. You see, just, you know, almost we might make it a Monty Python skit. Please, sir, just a drop of water. You know, we, we, we have caricaturized this. But the, the fact of the matter is, this is a man that didn't live righteously, and now there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because there's no time left to change his circumstances. And the word from Jesus' own lips is there's a great chasm for a reason between heaven and hell. And the righteous, the, 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 righteous, the rich man says, well, then do something about my family. I don't want them to be with me. They're just like me. I don't want them to die. Have you felt that urgency for your children, for your family members, for your office mates? It's not that urgency that's going to change their life. You know that the Lord is the one who makes the change. But we have to be active participants in that change. We have to be the light of Christ around them. We have to help take down their inhibitions to the logical disorder that they can't see in the gospel and help the Lord invade their heart so that the gap between here and here is bridged. It's only 18 inches, right? between your brain and your heart. But it must be the longest gap that we have in our lives if we don't yet understand in a way that brings us into godly understanding, that we, are, we have the mind of Christ. And at the end of this story, Jesus says a very hard word to this man. He says, no, they have Abraham and the prophets. They have the ability to know, to know the story, and yet they've ignored. So where are we? We're back to woe again, right? Woe to you who don't believe what is right in front of you. Who can't see that if we would... Now, I'm not, I'm not recommending this. Please do not do this at home. It's only done by trained professionals. If you slice the tip of your finger off, and you took a bisection of that finger and you put it under a microscope, that alone should tell you the glory of God. How is it possible that cells could align that way and nerve endings could be there and muscle and tissue and bone and blood and all the stuff just in your little finger, let alone your whole body? And so we say to the world as we wake up with praise tomorrow morning, because that's your homework, remember? world see how fabulous god is see how creative this couldn't have happened 
by mistake, and I'm so glad to be alive. I'm so happy to grab it and go for it every day. <coughs> I had the blessing just recently of visiting with my brother, Frank, who, as you know, we, you've been praying for. He's, he's got um, sarcoma, which they lovingly say is like whack-a-mole. You know, you take it here, and then it pops up over here, and you take it there, and it pops over here. And he currently has uh, unop inoperable um, tumors that they haven't been able to pop down. And yet, I get strengthened being around him because he's, his view toward how he's taking life is, I'm not going to miss every day, any day, any moment because I've got the chance to live. I'm going to take as many days as the Lord gives me, and that's what I'm going to do. And so, you know, when each time, of course it's disappointing, of course there's tears, of course there's angst, of course there's brokenness, but when the doctors report there's no way that we can go forward with what we've been planning because the chemotherapy's not working, he doesn't go, okay, well, I don't want to live like this. He says, so what are our options? That's a praise in the morning. That's what you do to get your head straight and say, so what are our options today, Lord? You are the Lord of endless options. And I know that I'm here to live my life, to be a good steward of the things that you've given me to do, to not be rich and wasteful in the life that you've given me, but to use it to serve the people around me for the sake of the kingdom. What do you want me to do? Oh, let's start with praise. Start your day that way. Make it a discipline. You'll find that as your heart grows closer and closer and closer to God, you become that person that God defines in Scripture as righteous. Blessed, he says, are the righteous. Blessed are those who walk in his ways. Blessed are those who follow his commands. It's over and over and over in the psalmist's words. Do you want to live a blessed life? All of us do. But we define our blessings by the culture that's around us, and we think that that's defined in stuff. No, a blessed life is storing up for yourself riches in heaven so that those riches might be able to be cashed in in a life that's eternal, in a life that could never fade, never cry, never hurt, never have cancer, never, 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 forever, 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 forever. Amen? Let's share that with the world so that people will know that we're not a people who just love our stuff and keep it to ourselves, but that we are stewarding our stuff so that others might share in the riches we've received that are earthly so that they might share in the riches that are heavenly.